Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read the first four verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may be seated, and let's take a few moments to reflect together on God's word. Imagine when the scholars, the biblical scholars, were trying to divide the books of the Bible into chapters. They're looking for places that have natural divisions in the letter and then placing a chapter break there. And with Colossians, they got that right. Between chapter 2 and chapter 3, there is this natural transition that occurs. In chapter 3, Paul makes this significant transition uh, in the letter. And as you, if you see on your, your bulletin... Uh, and what we've seen on the screen these last few weeks, uh, there's an easy way to divide uh, Colossians into three different sections. Uh, first, Christ is declared, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 5. Paul's making this great case for who Jesus Christ is. Then he's defended, chapter 2, verse 6, through the rest of that chapter. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. Paul's been talking about uh, danger or warning the, the church of people coming in from the outside with uh, deceptive philosophies. And then Christ is demonstrated, chapter 3, and then to the end of the book, chapter 4. And so Paul follows a, a very well-worn path that he's used in many of his letters, where he begins his letters with doctrine, and then he transitions to duty. He begins with a, a series of statements of beliefs, but then he transitions to behavior. Uh, let me give you one example. Romans chapter 11, transitioning from doctrine into behavior in Romans chapter 12. The, probably the, the, the best uh, theological, systematic theological understanding that we get in the Bible comes from Romans. And at the end, very end of chapter 11, Paul says this. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He just sort of comes to a, to a natural close of all this doctrine. Whatever I've been saying, Paul said, it's been pointing to Jesus. I've been trying to point you to Jesus, help you understand who Jesus is. Chapter 12, verse 1, therefore. See, now that you have this doctrine, now that you have this belief this belief has to transfer into behaviors. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So for Paul, it happens the same way all the time. Doctrine always is going to translate into behave, to, to duty. Uh, belief is always going to transfer into behavior. James says it this, the same thing this way in his letter. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just sit and listen. Don't just sit and read. I mean, do that, but don't just do that. 
Take what you learn, take your doctrine, take your uh, beliefs, and put them into action with your duty or behavior. James says that if your behavior doesn't match your beliefs, then you're fooling yourself about your beliefs. And so it's worth pausing to ask here, just at the very beginning, does your belief shape your behavior? Do your beliefs shape your behavior? How, how is that? How can you see that? How is that demonstrated in your life? Paul shifts from belief to behavior from chapter 2 into chapter uh, 3, and you see it specifically here in verses 1 and 2. If, then, or sometimes therefore, or since, same sort of transition, since you've been raised with Christ, this stuff that I've all, I've just been talking about for the last two chapters, now that you know who you are positionally in Christ, now seek. These two key words, seek and verse two, set. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things that are, that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul gives us the the first two critical components, the first two steps in changing our behavior. How do you change your behavior? Well, there's a lot of things that go into that, but Paul gives us these first two steps. The first two key steps is you have to seek and you have to set. To, To seek means to orient yourself or to plot a course. To, you have a new orientation or you're, you're plotting a, a new course. He's telling the church uh, at Colossae, because you believe now in Jesus, you believe that he's the visible image of the invisible God. You believe that he created all things in him, all things hold together. Therefore, you have a, you have a completely new orientation. You, you plotted a completely new course for your life. It's, it's like you are holding a compass that was broken. And on your compass, you have a magnetized needle. And on a normal compass, that, that needle is magnetized towards north. So wherever you spin the compass, you always see the red part of the needle, always telling you where north is. And it's like Paul saying, you had a broken compass. And it was, the, the needle was magnetized towards yourself. And before Christ, wherever you turn, no matter what you did, the needle always came back to you. And now he's saying, hey, you've gotten this new compass, this working compass, and the needle is always pointing towards Christ. So, so no, no matter where you're going, you're always orienting yourself towards Jesus Christ. You're, you're not magnetized towards the things of the earth. You're now plotting a new course you're, you're taking your eyes off the things of the earth, and you're fixing your eyes on things that are above. And we know what that is. It's Jesus Christ sitting at God the Father's right hand. So you're moving away from focusing on things of the earth, and you're, you're thinking ahead. You're thinking about things that are above. Now, I want to take just a moment here to insert some discernment. And there's a lot of examples I could use, but this was just the easiest sort of low-hanging fruit for this example of discernment. And the reason I'm using it is because this uh, author quotes Colossians chapter 2. In Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now, 
chapter 2 is titled, Raise Your Level of Expectancy. And he writes, and I quote, The Bible says, set your mind and keep it set on higher things. That's the very beginning of this chapter. You can go find it online today. The Bible says, set your mind and keep it set on higher things. He's quoting Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Then his example, immediately following, perhaps you work in sales and are scheduled to give an important presentation. You were really hoping to snag that big contract. God wants you to get your hopes up. Start expecting doors of opportunity to open for you. Now, the reason I say this is because you need to be discerning. You need to say, okay, he's quoting the Bible. What verse is he quoting? He's quoting Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Well, what does chapter 3, verse 2 actually say? He says that it says, set your mind and keep it set on higher things, period. Here's what it actually says. Set your mind on things that are above, comma, not on things that are on the earth. Do you see when he alters the verse, when he cuts it short, he also alters the aim. This is so critical. When he alters the verse, he alters the aim. Paul's whole point in the verse is you have a new aim. And what is the new aim? It's not on the big contract. You see, he ends up saying the very opposite of what Paul intends to say. Now, is it bad that God, that you could want a big contract? No, it's not bad. Should you have a a good disposition and a good attitude when you interview? Yes, you should. Yeah, all that's fine. But should you misquote the Bible? No. You You can't bend the Bible and make it just say the things that you want to say. And so the reason I'm saying this is that Christ Community Church, we're preaching through the Bible. I want you to have your Bible open, whether you're here or you go to some other church. Because you need to be discerning. You can't just trust that I'm going to be discerning for you. You have to be discerning. You have to be like what Paul runs into in Berea, in, in, uh, in Greece, the, this town called Berea. He said the Berean believers listened to Paul. And then when they went home, they checked out to see if the Apostle Paul was saying what was truly in the Bible. And that's what you have to do, whether it's Joel Osteen or whether it's Paul Phillips. You need to look at your Bibles and and say, this is what Paul Phillips is the saying, it says, but does it actually say that? So it's critical that we, we have some discernment. In our culture, there's so many quotes that are taken out of context that we need to be careful. We need to see if this is what the scripture says. So let me go back. We're seeking, we're orienting, we're plotting a new course. We have a new compass because of Christ and we're setting our minds. We're exercising our minds. If you're, if you're going to plot a new course in your life, then one of the critical steps is setting your mind in a different direction. And so we must discipline ourselves to have a, a new mindset, the title of the sermon. Now I, I could make a list much longer than this. And I got to the end of this list, and I just thought of five more things. But I just wanted to give five, five places or, or maybe five key principles in developing this new mindset. Paul's saying that developing this new mindset 
developing a a new compass heading, plotting a new course is the beginning of changing all other behaviors. So you got to have this one down before you can really make progress in the others. And we'll talk about the others as we go through chapter three. So five key principles. Probably there's five other key principles, but this is the best I could come up with in terms of the time. Number one, don't underestimate the work needing to be done in your mind. When you think about working to have a new mindset, one of the first things you just need to have really in the front of your mind is, I can't underestimate the amount of work that needs to be done. It's not a small amount of work that needs to be done in your mind to change your mindset. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 3, says the mind is hardened. 1 Timothy 6, the mind is depraved. Ephesians 4.18, darkened. Romans 1.21, foolish. See, before Christ, our minds were hardened, depraved, darkened, and foolish. I used this example once before, it's so perfect. Have you seen the television or the commercial even for the, the TV show Hoarders? Not recommending that you go home and watch it, but you can see it on YouTube, I'm sure, or whatever. These people live in what mostly look like fairly normal homes. That most of them are sort of falling apart on the outside, but when you walk in, oh my gosh. You can't even, the, 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 it's, it's really terrible. It's just disgusting. When you open the door, you can't get in the home. You have to climb over mounds of trash. And then when you get to certain rooms, they're so piled up, you can't even get into them. And that's what your mind's like. You're a hoarder. You have so much stuffed in your mind. That Christ is coming in and, and, and he's going to take the Holy Spirit and he's going to have a big shovel. And it's going to, he's going to have to clean out all these things. And I don't want you to underestimate how hard that's going to be and how much work needs to be done in your mind, in my mind. We're, we're hoarders of lies, lusts, biases, bitterness, blind spots, ignorance, inconsistencies, greed, gluttony, pride, Prejudices, slothfulness, slander, rage, revenge, distractedness, dogmatism, anger, anxiety, forgetfulness, faulty perspectives, fear. That's just in one room. And you have an endless number of rooms. Thankfully, because of God's mercy, now we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can come in and begin to take things out to remove that debris and put in what we'll talk about in a few minutes. Better things to renew our minds. So, first of all, don't underestimate the work needing to be done in your mind. Don't underestimate the fact that at some point a preacher, a book, a, a, a verse in the Bible is going to come in. And say, what you're holding on to, you're calling a treasure, and it's a piece of trash. You ever see these shows? They, oh, oh, you can't throw that out. You're thinking, why? That's that's a piece of trash. And they hold on to it like that has some kind of meaning. I'm just telling you, you're going to have one of those. You might have a hundred of those. That you think, oh, this has served me so well. I've got to hold on to this idea. I've got to hold on to this thing. Don't underestimate the work that needs to be done in your mind to have this new mindset. Two, develop a new 
to develop a new mindset, it's warfare. This sort of flows from number one, first Peter chapter two, verse 11. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. So if you want to develop a new mindset, you have to understand that it's warfare. It's not peacetime. It's warfare. John Piper says this. Most people do not believe this in their heart. They show by their priorities and casual approach to things that they believe we are in peacetime, not in wartime. In wartime, we are on alert. We are armed where there is austerity. But no, today, many Christians have stopped believing we are at war. There's no urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peace and prosperity. Luke chapter 13, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able to. Jesus is answering someone who asked this question to him. Are only a few people going to be saved? And interestingly, he just said, hey, I'm not worried about a few or many. What I'm telling you, it's narrow. And if you want to enter, you have to strive. And in the, in the Greek, that means you have to fight. He's saying, if you want, you want to get in, you've got to fight to get in. It's not something that's peacetime. It's wartime. Jesus says, no matter the number, only those who fight get in. One commentator says this about Jesus' reply. Many will wish or desire, but they will not fight. Because they will not fight for the narrow gate, they will not get in. One final comment here about having a wartime mentality. The Anglican prayer book. Some people know it as the Book of Common Prayer. At a child's baptism has this statement made at the baptism. We receive this child into the congregation and give them the sign of the cross and token that hereafter they shall be they shall not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified and and manfully to fight under his banner to fight against sin, to fight against the world and to fight against the devil. You see, they got it right. They understood at the very beginning. It's a fight. You got to fight against your own sin. You got to fight against Satan. You got to fight against the world in some way. So it's it's a fight. And one question I have for you, does your life reflect a peacetime or wartime mentality? Number three, don't be slippery or shifty in your thinking. Don't be slippery or shifty in your thinking. Jesus doesn't deal with people who use their minds to be shifty with the truth. Matthew 21 the chief priests come to Jesus. They're trying to trap him in, with uh, some questions. And they say, by what authority are you doing these things? What, what authority are you doing these miracles, casting out these demons? Jesus could see their devious hearts. So he said, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John the Baptist, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or from man? Now, instead of the chief priest giving a direct answer, being forthright, 
They, they use their minds to formulate some slippery saying. They talk, talk, talk amongst themselves saying, if we say that it's from heaven, Jesus will say to us, then why didn't you believe John the Baptist? But if we say John the Baptist was from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold John the Baptist was a prophet. So since we can't say either one of those, we'll be slippery and say, well, we don't know. And I would have liked to have seen Jesus' expression right there. These people coming in, trying to use their minds in a slippery way, not really being forthright. Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. And he walks away. He's just not interested in dealing with people who are using their minds in some kind of slippery, shifty way. He's not interested in spin. So in your mind, are you slippery? Are you shifty? Do you seek the truth or are you shifty? Do you spin or bend the truth to accommodate your behavior? Number four. Developing a new mindset requires the pursuit of maturity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. When a a child is an infant, it's sweet. So sweet. We have plenty of them here, and so sweet to see a child and see him or her and its infancy. Oh, so sweet. But 20 years later, if it's still that way, it's not sweet anymore. It's a problem. I mean, it's a big problem. One year later, if it's the same, it's a big problem. So Paul's saying, don't, don't be somebody who's constantly being an infant. Mature, mature, mature in your thinking. And again, in response to the, a question, Jesus answers the, answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love him with all your mind. You've got to mature in all these things as a person. And I emphasize this point because sometimes you run into people and maybe you run into your own thinking that somehow romanticizes ignorance. Like being ignorant or being uninformed or being uneducated is somehow more pure. Again, I appreciate Piper's response. There is an odd notion that if we use our minds to grow in our knowledge of God, mystery will diminish and with it a sense of wonder and worship. See, if we grow in our knowledge of God, then somehow mystery diminishes because we know more of God. And when we know more of God and mystery diminishes, then our worship diminishes. That's not what he's saying. He believes he's just saying he runs into that. It's odd because no matter how many millions of ages I use my mind to know more of God's majesty, his glories will never be in danger of being exhausted. See, God's not like a pie. That the more you consume, the less there is. No. God is infinite. And in case you don't know math, you can't subtract from infinity. You can't somehow lessen infinity. 
If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, as the little girl Lucy grows in her understanding and she sees Aslan, the Christ character, she says, my, you've grown. And he says, every year you grow, I grow bigger still. See, you can't subtract from infinity. You can't somehow get to the end. By increasing your knowledge of God, don't worry that you're somehow going to limit God. I can eliminate that anxiety from you right now. That, gosh, if I just know so much, at some point I'm going to get to the end. Forget about, don't, there's other things to worry about. That's not one to worry about. Just the opposite. As you mature, as you increase in knowledge, God gets bigger. Paul's prayer in chapter 1, increase in the knowledge of God. So, so pursue maturity. Ignorance as a spiritual infant is sweet. But if you've been a Christian for some time and you're not maturing, then something's wrong. So however it is, we can help you as a church. Let's, let's use 2015 to say when we get here next year, we're more mature. We're not going to figure it all out, but we're more mature than we are Today, So are you seeking maturity? Number five, and this is the final one for me this morning. Developing a new mindset requires taking captives. Developing a new mindset will require you taking captives. First Corinthians chapter 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension. False truth. That sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So arguments, false truths are coming towards us. Paul says we take those captive. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So, so we're a guard over our mind and we've got to take things captive. He's saying uh, 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 something's trying to come in. It's trying to gain a foothold in your mind. And you've got to be a good guard. You've got to say, no, I can't let that in. That's not true. I can't allow that to have a, a full foothold. And that means that you can't believe everything you think. Well, let me say that again. You can't believe everything you think. Everything you think is not a movement of the Holy Spirit. This may be difficult for some people to swallow, but everything you think isn't true or accurate. It has to be guarded. It has to be judged against what Christ has to say. It has to be taken captive, perhaps. And this takes a good mix of maturity and humility. There's so much you don't know about situations, so much you don't know about circumstances, so much you don't know about yourself, so much you don't know about how God is working. You might see God working in two or three ways, and when you get to heaven, you'll say he was working in 10 billion ways. But see, you can only see a tiny little bit. So you have to take things captive in your mind and just say to yourself, everything I think is not necessarily true. You have to guard your mind. You've got to be a, a watchman. You've got to stand guard over what comes in your mind. Proverbs fifteen fourteen, one translation says it this way. A wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. A wise person is hungry. 
And they feed on wisdom. Feed on truth. A, a fool is hungry, but they eat trash. They fill up their minds, their rooms and their minds with trash. So one question, what are you feeding your mind? What's the, the meat in the center of the plate of your mental diet? How much time do you spend on social media? Who do you feed your mind with by following on Twitter? And I'm not looking at anybody specifically, but some of you need to unfollow some people. Oh, but they're my friend. Yeah, trash. Because you've got them in your pocket and it buzzes like an alarm, like you can't possibly go forward without looking at your phone right now. And it's some Twitter person you're following, and it's not even the person you're following. It's the person that they follow, and their trash comes to your screen. And you look at it, and you read it, or you see the picture. You're not a good guard of your mind. You can't let that stuff inside. You are the watchman. You are the guard. And some of you would rather not hurt somebody's feelings and unfollow somebody because they find out. And you can just say, you know what, too much trash. But you can't say that somehow. But instead, you're, you're letting the enemy come in your mind. It's getting a foothold. And it's just wreaking havoc inside. So, so ha- developing a new mindset, it's going to require taking captives. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be bigger than you think it is. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. What does he say? Think. Set your minds on these things. Make them your goal. Plot a course for these things. Move away from the trash of our culture. So let me stop again. I'm going to get on my soapbox and start preaching here in a minute. So let's stop. Let's just try to recalibrate. And you're not going to need try to work on all these at the same time. But let me just go back. Ask some questions. You take some time to digest this. Talk about this with your friends or your family. Have you underestimated the amount of work that needs to be done in your mind? Do you understand you are a hoarder and so much of what's in your mind must be thrown out? Number two, do you have a warfare or a peacetime mindset? Number three, are you shifty or slippery? Trying to bend things towards your behavior. Number four, are you pursuing maturity? If yes, how? Number five, do you take thoughts captive? Are are you a good watchman over your mind what are you feeding your mind with see these are the critical first steps so when we get to talking about some very practical things in chapter three the first step is you got to have a new mindset 